Blog Talk Radio. Everybody get up.
good evening. How you doing? Hi, it's Gary. How's it going, Gary? Okay, good. Are we on the air? <laughs> yes, we are. We are on the air. Okay, I'm so sorry because I had a few with... minutes. Yep. <laughs> okay. Thanks for having me on. Off the chain um, with, uh... I, I, yeah. I was uh, reminded of the show with, uh, ten, ten, this morning, and I guess I forgot or didn't think it was scheduled, so I'm sorry I'm kind of not was uh, very organized, but appreciate you having me on. Oh, that's okay. And I just want you as you are, so come as you are. All righty. All righty. So I am uh, in the process of, like, uh, driving uh, for this uh, portion of the show. I should be home soon, and I just want to let you know if the line does disconnect, I'll call you right back because, you know, the cell signals sometimes go crazy. Yeah, that's that's not a problem. So right. we actually just okay. got done with the intro song, so we actually have a couple of items oh. that we got to cover anyway. So All right, this is cool. uh, All right, the Chain with Yvonne Mason, special host Ian Bush. Yvonne Mason is out attending some uh, personal business, so she's graciously allowed me to host the show for last night with Chad Lusky and tonight with Gary. So we have a couple of ads, uh, some shameless promotion that we want to read real fast before we get into the interview with our guest. So, one of them is about Sam Holden. He is back, as it is our favorite vigilante. The third book in the series has just been released. In Dogbone, Sam's quest to avenge abused animals is threatened when the FBI comes after her on one side and the commissioner wants her dead on the other side. Will her double life be exposed? Will Sam be able to protect the animals, her friends, and herself? Check out Dog Bones by Diane Moat everywhere ebooks are sold. If you haven't started the series yet, be sure to begin with Dog Gone by Diane Moat for free on Amazon. I want to remind all my listeners that author John Isaac Jones' book, Alabama Stories, is now available for Kindle. This book is a collection of short stories taken from John's childhood years in the cotton state. Fun, entertaining read. You don't want to miss it. And The Infant Conspiracy by J. Traveler Pelton is available on Amazon as both a paperback or an ebook. It starts a few years after rebooting The Oberlin's Left Off. Noel and Violet Oberlin spent their adult careers working special assignments for the United States government, a family tradition of service. After 40 years of espionage, all they wanted was a peaceful retirement in the country. Just as it seemed that dream might happen, an unplanned series of events forced their overachieving adult children to return home to live the folks, all four of them driving out of their homes by different aspects of the government that had gone insane. Kay, a genesis, with Ziana, his wife, Gabriel, a bomb expert turned nurse, with their grandson, little Gabe, Jasmine, a forensic psychologist married to Scott, a CPA, joined their little sibs, still living at home. Micah, an autistic savant, and Serena, an artist, and uncovering a secret group of people led by the icy lady, whose main goal appears to be to take the Earth's population down from 7 billion to 500 million within the next 10 years. Having infiltrated the governments of most deployed countries and released an airborne airborne anti-fertility virus, the Brotherhood succeeded in forcing a zero fertility rate. In the meantime, the economy of the United States tanks. The government sells old citizens who have debt into slavery within a system so harsh that civil disorder breaks out. Serenity Retreat Center is forced to become a slave labor camp, and the family is compelled 
into special service to save the center, their tribe, the United States, and humanity from extinction. If you thought retirement was simply about money, this book will change your mind. So now that we have our shameless promotions out of the way, we are talking to Gary Startha. Is it Startha, sir? Yep. Uh, S-T-A-R-T-A. Okay. <laughs> yep, you got it. Um, yes, sir. So, yeah, thanks for having me on, and I know it's a hard time, and, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, sympathy out for uh, Yvonne going through the tough time she's gone through this year. Um, so I want to say that. So, um uh, the last time I think I was on, I think it was the beginning of the year, like January, and I was talking mm-hmm. about The Killing Collective, which was a book uh, that came out in summer 2017. Now, I do uh, kind of very genres. I like to mix it up. I like to do um, mixed genres. Uh, I don't really want to stay in the box. I do sci-fi. So my last release, which came out in March, was the second book of the series called uh, the Camden Investigations, and the title of the book is Time Wanderer. And if, uh, a little bit later in the show, if you'd like me to do a reading from it, I will gladly do that. Hopefully while you're not driving, correct? Reading oh, and yeah. driving is illegal, yeah, yeah. folks, we don't uh, condone yeah, when it. I get in the door, <laughs> so when I get in the door, I will grab the book. I am not that talented uh, to be reading and driving. <laughs> and like I'm saying, uh, I've come up across a point here for the next couple minutes and if the line does come out, I am very sorry. I'll give you a call back within like two minutes, I promise. So uh, hang in there in case we lose our connection. But um, that's, so that's okay. The beauty of live is uh, the beauty of live yeah. is it just happens. So we just roll with the punches and we keep on going. We like you for who yeah, you maybe are. Yeah, maybe it won't sound so bad on the you know, band life. So it's actually funny that you mentioned. Um, you, yep. Go ahead. Well, the Time Wanderer book is the second book in the series that involves uh, UFO uh, hunters and, I'm sorry, ghost hunters and UFO chasers who come together uh, kind of begrudgingly because neither of them really um, kind of holds each other's beliefs. Um, and so my interest in writing that series was to bring back, bring, bring together two teams that do paranormal investigations, yet they don't maybe see eye to eye. And I'm thinking, like, you know, if you're a paranormal investigator, you should really have an open mind. So the ghost conscious don't really believe in UFOs and aliens, and the UFO uh, chases really don't believe in ghosts. So it's kind of like a, <laughs> you know, a little bit of a drama going there from the beginning. <laughs> And so what gets right. them together is they find an artifact in the first book, Coalescence, which kind of joins them, and then they get bonded. And so for the second book, um, I have a new character comes in, comes in and, uh, just like the time, she's a time wanderer, and she gets kind of time segments. She doesn't know what's going on. She's kind of flittering through different time periods. So that's the basis of that book. And um, because I have a lot of my books, You still there? To uh, my book All right. to be in that type oh, of there you are. So, yeah, kind of excited. And um, if it's all right, I would like to uh, give your readers to get uh, some free Audible books. I just have about five out right now and about another <laughs> ten or so coming. And I have what mm-hmm. uh, they give you 
they give free codes out. So um, any listener who's interested uh, can write me, and I will give them the link to get to Audible and the free code so they'll get a free listen. Wow, that's actually a really good deal. And they're really, yeah, and a really good deal, too, that my phone didn't cut out going over the stupid bridge, so that's a bonus, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you actually... Yeah, um, Go ahead. So you actually mentioned about your uh, your Time Wanderer book and your other books as well. One of the questions I have for you is actually in line to what you're saying about you don't fit a box, and that's really neat. I was right. going through your books, and I saw a sci-fi lover that you are. I saw that you're a paranormal <laughs> suspense writer, a forensic investigation yeah. writer, a fantasy yeah. romance writer, and a zombie writer. <laughs> So my only question yeah. is, what genre are you looking for next, and what is next? Um, well, I can tell you, if I if I find any niche at home at all, it's it's going to be sci-fi where it involves artificial intelligence, most namely androids, um, because Isaac Asimov is really one of my biggest influences, along with um, mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek with the character Data in Star Trek. Now, I just went to a convention and met Brent Spiner. I don't know if you know who he is. He plays Data on the Star Trek The Next Generation. Are you familiar yep. with that? Well, Yeah, I, my, I my dad a, was uh, a big fan. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it's exciting. Um, I was very much into that show and what he did with the character. So I went to a convention <clears throat> over the last weekend, and he, you know, did a little talk and stuff. So that, that was kind of exciting. Um, and, and to meet one of the, you know, Star Trek people. So <laughs> they're definitely a big influence. I say if it wasn't for Star Trek, really, I don't know if I would even be writing. Um, definitely a major influence that got me into sci-fi in the first place. Um, but so I'm talking about Android. So I have a series that will be coming out, um, I think, starting next year called the Android Sisters, uh, about two teenage um, androids. <clears throat> and they get placed into a home with uh, biological, you know, I mean, like, you know, not let's say organic human beings. Not they're not they, they, the parents are, are you know regular humans. So I'm picturing a time frame like 50 years into the future where we might have like really sentient androids and uh, they might be coming you know into uh, into homes you know to live and, and become you know uh, they're going to integrate with families. They're not going to be just used for like servants. They're not going to be used to go into the army or just uh, be caretakers of people's homes. They're going to basically be uh, you know, creatures that have uh, some free will and, and they, they get some rights. So I find that fascinating when that day comes because, you know, with, with all the groups out there, um, you know, anybody can name any race or any sex, you know, they go through a lot of uh, um, kind of hard times before they uh, they get their rights. And uh, so I'm picturing these androids, you know, they go through that and they eventually <laughs> get kind of a little bit of acceptance in society, very never quite the acceptance uh, totally, which keeps the book interesting, but that's what I'm, you know, foreseeing for these Android sisters, so I'm excited to do that series. That That's already, you know, in place, and it's going to be coming out. It actually sounds really interesting. Um, kind of going along with what you're, what you're saying about the future of writing and all that, can you take yeah. us back, because every, every future has to deal with the past in a way, right? Take me back to when you started as a writer. What made you want to pursue this, and what made you uh, still motivated to keep going? Um, Well, again, it's that love of sci-fi. 
And um, I got a kind of a late start. I uh, began as a newspaper reporter doing nonfiction. And I got to tell you, I never really dreamed that he was fiction. He told me back when I'd be doing fiction, I would be like a parallel universe. Um, <laughs> oh my God! Now I'm totally opposite. Now I do I do like totally fiction, and I don't do any nonfiction. So um, yeah, once I just caught the bug of it, it really is just like you know. Uh, I think the love of it is what keeps me going because you never really know doing art. Um, you know, how much it's going to be accepted, how much it's going to be popular, how much it's going to go over, and, uh, you know, reaching people, it, you know, is yet another thing. I don't know. Are you an author yourself? So I, I kind of agree with you in that where the um, – yeah, it's kind of like a first date every time you write a new book. You get the butterflies and you're like, you know, I don't know if this book really likes me. I really like this book. I don't want to come off too strong. I don't want to look like a dork. And it's, it's a first date every time you write a new book. And then when you send it to the publisher, it gets a little bit more serious. And you're like, all right, this is this is getting where I need to, to get it now. So I do agree with you that the drive of not knowing what comes next is what keeps me driven. So I think um, you and a lot of art artists, regardless of medium, understand that feeling. So. What yeah, would it's you just have changed. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Come again? I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I was supposed to, you know, you go ahead, finish, and I'll say my answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> what would you have changed knowing what you know now? If you could reach back to the younger author <clears throat> and give him a couple oh, more boy. steps, what would you wow. have, have told him? Wow. Um well, I mean, I know writing's a tough journey just, you know, to really, uh, you know, financially in the first place. But, uh, you know, if I, maybe if I, I don't know if I could, take, you know, do an earlier start for fiction because, you know, I think um, I had to have a lot of life experiences to do the writing, even though it's science fiction. People think it's science fiction. Science fiction is about, still about characters, it's still about humans, and it's still about human nature. And uh, you got to know a certain bit of what's going on in life in order to uh, to write about it. So I don't know about going back. I don't know if I could really have, um, you know, really done it before I start. Uh, good for me that I started later doing the fiction writing. But, um, I mean, well, let's just jokingly say if the universe had any secrets as far as much I into Rita's hands, I would have loved that. I would have loved to time travel <laughs> and learn how to do that, you know, because I'm telling you, it's just like it, even the people are supposed to be like the, you know, uh, all the sales tricks and everything. It's really a kind of hit and miss thing. I, I worked for Penguin, the book publisher, for a number of years, and I recall going out uh, to the annual meeting uh, where the and I don't know if he was playing at Koi or not, but basically they put them in the hands of their sales force, and uh, they kind of hope for the best. And uh, <laughs> That's uh, pretty so interesting hard. that you worked and, with Penguin, the, uh, yeah, the publisher. Yeah, what, yeah. what did right, you learn right, from right. that? Did, well... Here's the thing, I, I, I work for the administrative end. I, unfortunately, I was not in the editorial office in the city. So um, <laughs> it was kind of ironic, but the, here's the, 
the, the, the, the plus for me was I got a bunch of free books. They bring out free books and uh, they put them on the lunch tables. And I, I read to my heart's content, you know, um, and, you know, that fueled my inspiration that showed me how books were put together. And uh, so that, you know, it was ironic, but it was kind of very helpful, um, even though I wasn't working in an editorial position of how Penguin, you know, uh, kind of uh, was, a, was a learning experience still yet, even though, even though I was the guy on the end, you know, maybe investigating like, you know, problems with the books on orders and so forth. So, I mean, that's the way that ironic story went with Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even from an admin perspective, you could still probably learn something from exactly what you said. You got a bunch of free books, so you knew what a publisher was looking for via publisher, or excuse me, via uh, Penguin, because these yeah. free books obviously are coming up. So you said you you would learn what a publisher is looking for because, well, you're getting published books from them. And that's actually a, a tool right. in your tool bag that most authors, I think, didn't have in the beginning. So that's really neat that you start off like that. Right. My next question yeah, was, is um, – yeah. no, go ahead. No, 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 you go. I'm sorry. I stepped on you. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It, it's that's, it's, it's a back and forth conversation. on the phone to know who's going to go next. Yeah, I know. We should we should have a we should create a button for Yvonne so when she comes back there'll be like a little little tone or something that oh it's my turn yeah okay, a little okay. bell <laughs> yeah a little bell or button or something yeah a little bell <laughs> yeah why we, not we would uh <laughs> the bell would be broken after a while we'd be like okay is it my turn this, this interview is over it's over <laughs> there's too many bells going off <laughs> yeah it'll be the tenth round tenth round knockout <laughs> so. I actually asked this question uh, last night with our author, Chad Lutzke, and I, I feel like it's something that every author should ponder just because it kind of gives back to the people who have helped us along the way. And I know that Yvonne's really big on that, is helping others help themselves, where yeah. if I'm one step above, I'm going to reach my hand down and help you up on that next step. She's always lived like right. that. She's been like that. That's why everyone loves and adores her. So what opportunities has art presented to you that you feel would have not been there had you done something else? And how are you repaying that back to other people? Uh, I don't know. I, that brings to mind. I'm not sure if this really is directly answering your question or not, but uh, I uh, met a friend, Robin Firestone, um, and uh, the original intention on the Killing Collective book that we did uh, was that I was just going to have her be my editor. And basically, um, when she started reading it, we just kind of got really involved, and we ended up more as a collaboration on the book, um, as, a write, mm-hmm. as a writing team kind of, where she'd like to, you know, do, I'd send her a chapter, an email, and she sent back to me, and we did like a volley kind of back and forth on that uh, for a while. And um, uh, what she said basically was that she really learned from me because she had never done a novel before. She had done writing before. I think she was an editor before and she taught writing, but had never, um, you know, never really uh, did the fiction writing. So I guess she was, I guess it was a lesson uh, that she learned from her writing. I, I, I don't know. I guess that was helpful to her. So now she may have a springboard if she wants to do, um, you know, future novels. Um, mm-hmm. 
You still there? Okay. And that's oh yeah, and that's really impactful in allowing other people to springboard. Yeah, I'm here. Are you there? I'm so sorry. I had uh, to switch. No, you're okay. So now, actually, um, now that you're talking about co-authoring, that leads to my next question. How hard or easy is it to co-author, and would you suggest it? You still there? All right. We'll give it a couple of seconds for him to come back. Uh, I see that he's disconnected, and that's okay. It gives us the perfect opportunity to play a couple of ads. So let's get on playing with the ads. Horses See Ghosts, a new poetry book by Gannat Wise. It's been called Poetry for the Rest of Us. Amazon. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? Our horse is your new best friend. Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or... Visit QuinnWildlifeArt.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree, it's a hoot. A struggling city, its beloved baseball team, an antique camera, and photos from that camera that bear an image from the pit of hell, an entity only a select few can see. Journalism professor Buddy Cullen is determined to track this demon down. But who is the hunter and who is the prey? And who will be the next target of mankind's mortal foe? Mortal Foe. Available at Amazon.com. Hi, this is Winona and Jade inviting you to join us and our wonderful guests on the And I Thought Women's Cave podcast on Blog Talk Radio to learn more about our books, The And I Saw It series, and The Misfit Guides. They're available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. Or just to see what your ladies are up to, you can find all of that out on www.andwethought.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade and our books. (laughs) (laughs) You're so silly. You're silly. Remember Did you write that? That's funny. <laughs> Remember to visit us at andwethought.com. The year, 1888. The place, London's East End. Dead and mutilated bodies are popping up all over, from Stamford to Whitechapel. Jack the Ripper is leaving his mark, and the city's on edge. Yvonne Mason is back with a tale of murder and millinery. The Rhodes Hat Factory is booming while the body count rises. Why now? How are these hats connected? Has the Hatter gone mad? Mad Hatter, Yvonne Mason, 
Available now on Amazon.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to our shameless promotions. And we are back on with our guest. Gary, you still there? Yes, I am. I'm so sorry, but it was great that you had a, you could do the commercial break. So I'm back uh, in my home now, and I have actually my book here. Um, anytime you want me to do a little reading, we can do that. Great. Welcome home. Take your boots off. Get comfy. <laughs> All right. So before we go into your book, I actually um, the question that I left off with you, and then we can go into a quick reading of yours, was about co-authoring. And right. you said that you kind of worked with the ed- your editor a little bit. Yes. And I asked you if co-authoring is um, something that young authors, experienced authors should do, if it's beneficial, and why or why not? Um, well, that is a good question because I, told, I, I really didn't come into uh, even entertaining any idea of doing any co-author whatsoever was not in my mind until I was like, you know, uh, that was like, you know, a couple of years ago. So I was like at 12 years into the process. Um, and I just mm-hmm. thought I'd be, you know, doing everything, you know, individually. That's the way I saw it. And, um, you know, I didn't really even want to get involved with, you know, any of those kind of like groups, like the beta testing groups and all the people would give you opinions mm-hmm. and critiques on your chapters. So I kind of <laughs> bypassed all of that, you know, and I kind of just, went with what I was going to do. And that was it, you know, I just uh, made the decision. And so when I, you know, came across that, that situation, the, the process with Robin, with that, uh, that book, um, you know, and uh, how it turned into more than editing and actually like a collaboration, uh, that was a really kind of a tough thing to, uh, to kind of digest for me uh, to see like someone saying like, Oh, maybe to do some of different ideas. Uh, that I, you know, that I hadn't uh, hadn't done. But then, then on the other hand, though, um, what happened was when I started to show her chapters, and I wrote just like maybe the tiniest hint of like a one or two lines about a certain character, and she got intrigued by it. It was like an FBI uh, director, or I made some kind of comment <laughs> about, and. Uh, she said, uh, why, why did you make that, you know, why did he act like that? And then I, so I gave it some thought, and it basically fleshed out a whole, you know, whole other arc uh, into the story, you know, that it wouldn't have done uh, if she didn't say, like, well, you know, why were you, why did why'd you make that guy react that way? You know, is there something up his sleeve or something? And that, you know, I ran, we ran with that, and that was a whole other arc for the story. It definitely enriched it and made the story uh, thicker and uh you know, so, you know, on one hand, um, it's a learning experience and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like see someone, you know, come into your process. So it's kind of hard to take a little bit. But, um, you know, for, for something like that, it, it was to an advantage. Um, it definitely helped make a stronger story. I think I ended with a stronger story for the Killing Collective than if I had just done that book alone, basically. Actually, I'm asking that question for uh, two reasons. One, just to get your thoughts on it, and two is because I actually had some experience with co-authoring as well. I was fortunate enough to co-author with, uh, again, our guest last night, Chad Lutsky, in a zombie book called The Transmortification of Christopher Edwards, a zombie book. Right. And I also co-authored with um, Ron Brown, 
in a book called Guidelines for Immortality. And so the collaboration process, I feel, enriched the book far more, especially because of what you said, where I had an idea where the book was going, and then Chad or Ron would come back to me and say, hey, um, maybe we should go left instead of going right. And that, you know, yeah. I get frustrated because that's just how I am. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Right is the way I want him to go. I want him to go right. And they're like, well, if you go left, and then they just, like you said, they opened a whole new world and made that book even more enriched because they went down a road I didn't even think about. I also have a, yeah, another exactly. book that I co-authored with uh, AM mm-hmm. in high school. Her initials are AM. And same same thing. We actually took a physical book, and I'd write a chapter in the um, male point of view's perspective, and she'd write a chapter in the female point of view perspective. So I would say that I'm taking two steps out the door, and her chapter would be the reactions to taking two steps out the door. So that's that's a poor (laughs) analogy, but essentially that co-authoring process is really, really beneficial in the beginning because you get an even more compelling story working with somebody else because you have somebody working directly with you saying, well, maybe we should go left. And it creates a whole new world. Yeah. yeah. So if you like, uh, you said you – go ahead. And I think, too, it helped, you know, also my character um, um, kind of – well, not development. I say development. Um, uh, The main character, Stanford Carter, he's a homicide detective, and he also – um, you know, kind of practices Zen-type techniques to try to help him deal with his, uh, you know, the gruesome parts of his job. But he thought he was actually, you know, handling the stress of his job by kind of like, compart- you know, compartmentalizing or boxing his, uh, you know, what it was bothering him. And he had, he, he had this thing kind of like a mind warehouse, I described it, where he kind of shuffled off what was bothering him and tried to keep this calm, placid veneer always, and he never really let loose, and uh, and uh, he thought, I guess, he was really, you know, dealing with his troubles that way, but basically it was just maybe kind of hiding uh, from that. So basically what happened in this story is he really had to come and face that. He had to face what he was doing, face, uh, you know, his own truth. You know, was he kidding himself? Uh, and that really came into play. So um, by the end of the book, you know, he really goes on this journey. He has to reexamine his whole line of thinking and uh, – so basically, uh, Killing Collective is a, a big character journey as much as a plot. Uh, if you like the characters that, um, you know, really, uh, I guess, uh, what they call big and fat characters who go on a, a character development, um, I think uh, the mm-hmm. readers will enjoy the Killing Collective. Um, so that, like, I think so you said you had, the, uh, yeah. you had the book with you and you had uh, something that you wanted to read to the group? Yeah, well, let's uh, do the very last release I have. It came out in March. It's called Time Wander. It's Camden Investigations Book 2. And uh, how long do you want me to do uh, minute-wise for reading? Go until you run out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> just just keep well, going. Okay, then I, will, you... I, I will take it from the prologue, the beginning of the book, and we'll see. And uh, I think maybe I can finish the prologue. I don't think it's going to be too long. But if it is, I'll, I'll just tell, tell you, okay, I think, you know, I don't want to, let, you know, go overboard. No, so anyway, yeah, I'll fine. start read, that. Read a, read a page Alrighty. or two. That's okay. All right. I'll start this off then. Uh, so this is prologue, time 2323 23 B.C., place Giza, Egypt. 
The man drawing water along the muddy banks of the Nile, too preoccupied with keeping his footing, failed to notice the encroaching shadows. Daily sustenance demanded keen attention to detail if one were to survive the harsh desert environs. He continued filling wooden buckets, and those gatherers aligned behind him busied themselves with the distribution of full buckets onto poles. The bearers were to carry two full buckets each, precariously balancing them at each end of a pole carried on their shoulders. They worked as if their lives depended upon it because it did. The precious liquid must be transported to fill countless irrigation ditches cut into distant fields. Not a drop was to be wasted. The Nile was already receding from its summer deluge, and this water was crucial for crop formation. At another time, their preoccupation with this task might have drawn admiration from the sudden visitor who found herself immersed in waist-deep water. She peered downward, absorbed with wonder at what was the most unimportant detail of the moment. Perplexed as to how she arrived, her mind busied itself with a more mundane conundrum. She didn't recognize her clothing, the body-length white cotton wrapping specific to this time frame. Yes, there can be no denying it. I am in Egypt witnessing workers toil for the survival. Well, this isn't the first time I've been an unwelcome and unannounced visitor. Irritated at being used as a living chess piece for a reason never once explained to her, she resisted the urge to smack the water with her fists. The workers, not quite a football field away, were still unaware of her presence. No use alerting them to what was sure to be a distressing event for both parties. She balled her fists and grimaced. Her reflection confirmed she at least retained her past appearance. Long, slight, wavy blonde hair hung on her shoulders, framing a high cheekbone face accentuated by deep brown almond-shaped eyes. This discovery was only momentarily comforting. The flood of questions again batted a failed memory. She raised her hands to her head and cupped her ears. No matter how many times she experienced these sudden jumps through time, she remained just as confused as her first wandering. The feel of the Nile's muddy floor confirmed her tactile presence. This was here, here, and now, and implausible as it seemed, she removed her hands from her head and glanced skyward. The blinding sun was as every bit unmerciful as she could have imagined. Squinting, she placed a cupped hand over her eyebrows. She caught a glimpse of what amazed her as a child. The Pyramid of Cheops was breathtaking, more so now because she was experiencing it firsthand. She was also absorbing the pyramid as it was intended to be viewed. Its original finish, the polished white marble casings, glistened. Its gold capstone shimmered and sparkled. Eventually, time would erode the pyramid's brilliant polish, just another phase of its elusive construction process responsible for fascinating scholars for millennia afterward. Today, or whatever time period she was experiencing, allowed her to appreciate its every original marvel. She wanted to enjoy it, experience it with her living senses. She almost thanked whoever placed her here until survival trumped sightseeing. What are those two dots? They floated without sound. Too large to be any type of bird, they fashioned a ringed orbit around the pyramid. She didn't know what counted as normal around this majestic plateau. Her own mysterious arrival was not normal. These floating objects couldn't be normal, nor could they belong to this time period. It then dawned on her, her purpose. Why am I always taken by surprise? Why isn't there ever any briefing? She asked these questions only as a means to retain her sanity. They were rhetorical, of course. She had never been contacted, informed, or even given a surreptitious wink when it came to her purpose. 
and yet she had to conclude she had a purpose. Why else would she be pulled throughout time? Each wandering, she was capable of recalling name with a purpose. She wasn't a sightseer. She wasn't an applicant for the labor force. She wasn't even an alien spying on an evolving civilization. She believed herself to be every bit as human as the unaware workers funneling their life sources from the Nile. They're going to need my protection. At least I know why I'm here. The dots continued their buzzing, spherical dance. The great pyramid flanked on either side by majestic sphinxes seemed to shimmer from the interruption. Was it imagination or, more likely, a distorted view, thanks to rising heat? Even if the pyramid was not responding to the intrusive dance, questions nagged at the visitor. What did these objects want with the Great Pyramid? She was prompt that the dots were not birds, not only because of the scale of the shadows they produced, but their flight patterns, horizontal then vertical, hovering before dipping and wavering, free-fall flotation. The two dots were intent on repeating their investigation of the great structure, but for how long and more disturbingly, what else besides investigation were they after? Removing her eyes from the sky, white floaters replaced the black dots she almost sunblind. Their dots were a result of an affected vision. They danced along the Nile jewel-like. She shook her head. This was no time for self-reflection, no matter how sublime. The white dots accessorized her falling down in the mirror-like river as if she were a princess from a fabled land. The hard truth, she just might as well be. She had no idea where home existed. The gatherers remained unsuspecting in the shadow play along the sand cloud, not one head to turn in the direction of the anomaly. Work and survival competed for all their attention. They probably hadn't been involved in any recent wars and were passive from their agricultural existence. It was probably why they hadn't spotted her. She deemed it unlikely she was invisible, although that would have been a priceless accessory. Too bad whoever manipulated her hadn't deemed invisibility as a useful, if not a necessary, tool for her espionage. Oh, her hand covered her mouth. It was more a reprimand at this juncture, the cat or the white robed blonde, was now out of the bag. Her gasp could not be taken back. Workers raised their hands and mumbled. Sorry, work, workers raised their heads and mumbled. The woman clasped her hands together as if in prayer. She had no time to assess their assessment of her. Seemingly having lost interest in the pyramid, the ships broke from the orbital pattern and were moving toward the river. It was most worthy of an audible reaction if she were ever asked or interrogated. What could she do to help? That was the paramount consideration. She always wanted to assist. She didn't blink or take a moment to pause in consideration. Instinctively, she motioned for the gatherers to come toward her. She tried to suppress the shock she felt, but even if she had concealed the shaking tremors rummaging throughout her nervous system, she felt as if her gesture was futile. Scared people never ran in the direction of the object which frightened them, or did they? She gasped again. They were obeying. They were walking, not running. Were they rational enough to realize any attempt to run in muddy water would have consequences, or did they behold her sudden appearance to be some sign? Maybe they believed her to be a goddess. She had to consider the time period. Yes, these people believed in higher beings. She doubted, however, that two hovering spacecrafts would be met with equal rationality. She waggled her fingers until the first gather was almost in touching distance. She turned to his followers and beamed. It was a confirmation. They deduced her presence to be divine, but when the man's smile quickly morphed into a sick grin of dread, she had her answer regarding the other invaders. Muffled cries hovered over the Nile like buzzing insects. The workers were aware of the intruders. They vocalized it. 
She believed her native language to be English. She couldn't understand much of what they were grunting. This was going to be a real problem. If she were to aid them, how could she converse? Desperate, she ran her hands along her gown downward. She repeated the gesture until one of the women nodded. The woman dunked her body in the Nile. She gave an affirmative nod. Yes, yes, take cover, take cover. And was this sound advice or even a desperate option? What shield might the water give from craft possible, capable of shooting missiles or worse? She didn't know. She couldn't know. None of her previous warnings could have prepared her. She continued gesturing down, but submerged herself. She repeated the phrase surprised and shocked to find the words translated into the native's dialect. She was speaking the language of Asian Egypt. Somehow, the victory was short-lived. Doubt seeped through her veins as cold as ice water. How long could these people be expected to hold their breath? What could make these craft lose interest in their defenseless prey? She heard shouting coming in the direction of one of the sphinxes. Apparently, others had sighted the invaders. They must be warriors. They carried shields, spears, and axes. The weapons might have struck terror in pedestrian invaders, yet by further assessment caused her to smile and wonder. How could their attire, a lack of dress, even instill fear in anyone? They were shirtless for the most part, and something akin to kilts covered private areas. They were as good as dead if the invaders were out for conquest. Perhaps they all were. It was only a matter of time, a sick game of cat and mouse with the promise of decimation and eradication as prizes. So why am I here? I must have consequences. Without thought, she raised her arm. We're stretching them out toward the sun. A murmur of one woman surfacing for air caught her attention. In her native tongue, the woman said, rays of the sun. They probably think I'm some priestess or not a goddess. It would be a good guess. She had no idea what this gesture meant, yet she was committed to it. Deliberate and slow, she brought her raised index fingers to equidistant height. It was if they were magnets. She could only deduce this from feeling. It was some sort of magnetism, if not polarization. She felt drawn to the objects, almost on the verge of being lifted. She was sure there was going to be an effect, and soon. The wanderer felt a vibration, only this wasn't from trembling limbs or frayed nerves. The lower portions of the ships were turning blue. The rancorous shouting of the Egyptian army simmered to a boil as an act of defiance, no matter how otherworldly the foe. The threat evoked extreme courage from the plateau's frail and human counteroffensive. What could they do against this act of aggression? Clearly, even humans from the distant past could equate the color change in the ship with savagery. This realization made the white guard visitor more confident, as if she were leading the fish-shaking army herself. As her fingers touched a static shock, sent blue spikes radiating outwards. The ships appeared to be focused directly upon her until the touch affected their guidance system. The two ships descended and then aligned in horizontal perfection, each hovering directly over a sphinx. I have them where I want them. Her thought repelled her. She wasn't out for blood or vengeance. She didn't even know who these ships carried. She was helpless to resist the power. In a succinct motion, she repelled her fingers away from one another. The ships careened toward one another as if pulled by strings, necessitating a lethal outcome. Their otherworldly guidance system or onboard weapons were rendered powerless as paper airplanes. The ships crashed like glasses, compacting each other into self-destructive velocity. Pieces spewed upon the desert floor in raining cinder and smoke. The army retreated, toes digging into sand for purchase, flipping and sliding away from aerial projections. I saved them. I saved them all. The surge of adrenaline punctuated her conclusion. As she savored the victory, a tug on the sleeves of her garment interrupted. A good-looking man whispered, we must leave now.
Giddy from the victory she swagged and plodded from the river of the grand magical Delta Nile. How had she accomplished this? Was it the property of water, electricity, ingenuity, or plain luck? She could not ascertain, especially with the legion of yelling throng descending upon the Nile. A kilt-clad man with a red headdress shouted and pointed in her direction. They have included, I am an enemy. As she gazed into her companion's well-brown orbs, she considered why the gatherers did not harbor such fear. Perhaps it was simple paranoia emanating from a man married to destruction rather than that of cultivation. Hand in hand they ran. She dared a peek backwards. Amazingly, the gatherers had retreated from the water and formed a human chain. It and their remaining debris of the shattering ships impeded the armed army long enough for a temporary escape. They ran until the pyramid and the sphinxes appeared tiny in comparison with the looming horizon. What now? she asked her companion. He nodded in the direction of a small hut, and she revealed it to be a supply station, pottery, guarding tools, and carpeting part of the venue. Nothing out of the ordinary until the companion pointed to a statue. It was a representation Oh, sorry, it was a representation of Isis, most likely. At least that's what the wanderer believed it to be. Why is he making this association? Her head was dizzy and swimming from wonder at the impromptu bout with telekinesis. Unaware, she initiated a bowing gesture. Her hands were clasped more in confusion than appreciation. The companion nodded and smiled. No, she reprimanded. This isn't what you think. I'm just confused. I am not in any way, shape, or form connected to your gods. He replied in his native tongue, but you are. Your shape. He paused to align her body with her hands. Is in alignment with her. He bowed to the statue. She took his hand and drew a circle around her, her face. Look, I don't look like your goddess. Her laugh was stunted from nerves. I am white, really, really white. I see, there is a white crown. She wasn't a historian. She did realize there were specific divisions of Egypt. The colors red and blue came to mind, but not white. Before she could ponder more, he spoke again. There is a white goddess who, came, who comes in the trinity of phases. The wanderer caught herself blushing. I am not divine. I am not a mother or part of any divine trinity you could ever imagine. He grabbed her hand. Okay, then I might refer to you as the lady in white. Her cheeks were burning. She blinked a few times. That I could live with. He grabbed her hand tighter. Isn't this highly irregular, getting comfy with a deity? Surely has got to be a no-no. She waggled a finger at him. He smiled. She surmised he was forfeiting any more claims to worship. Okay, if I'm not your goddess, then what am I? Maybe you should report me. Her face was lined with doubt. Do they crucify or burn people in this time period? She could read little from his plastic expression. He sighed. I am already grieving from the joy I have found. She frowned. Because you know I am leaving. She placed an index finger over her lips and raised an eyebrow. However, I don't know exactly when that will be. She stepped out of her gown and embraced him. You, we can stay together until they find us or until I have to leave. You see, she again placed a finger over his lips. I have no choice in this matter. In fact, I have no home that I know of, nor do I have a name. Therefore, I will cherish the moniker of Lady in White, at least for the present moment of time. She pressed his lips against his. No time barriers or cultural boundaries repress their passion. And that is the prologue for Time Wander. There's definitely a lot going on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I, I did the whole prologue. I don't know if I was going to cut it off, but I decided to go with the whole prologue. So that was how the no, one right. of the experiences of the time wander. <laughs> right. So uh, definitely tell the audience, where can we find your books? All right, great. Yeah, they're all out on Amazon. Um, some are in uh, different places like Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. Uh, they're available uh, all in Kindle. 
uh, on Amazon. You can just put Carrie Starter in. That's G-A-R-Y-S-T-A-R-T-A. Um, now, I was really excited that the Audible books are coming. And so as for all, any listener who would like a free Audible book, I'm going to give two choices. One will be uh, Murder by Association. That is a Stanford Carter book, Mystery. Or Dead Market, which is a zombie sci-fi book. Um, they can write me. I'm going to give them an email address, if that's okay. Um, they can write me at uh, this, this email address. It's V-E-N-1-2-3-S-T-A-R at yahoo.com. So that's V-E-N-1-2-3-S-T-A-R at yahoo.com. Just uh, write me. Uh, say which book you like. I'll give you the link to Audible along with the free code so you can get it for free. But you, uh, I know they're going to really appreciate that free code too. So, real fast, hey, maybe you want to write me and get one. I'll give you the zombie book or something. Maybe that's your kind of <laughs> your uh, cup of tea. <laughs> for sure. If you uh, yeah. if you don't mind, I'm going to read your bio to the audience real fast too. Sure, or absolutely. Is that okay? Sure, absolutely. Thank you so, so much. So Gary's a former journalist who studied English and journalism at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. His love for science fiction compelled him to write his first novel, What Are You Made Of? Inspired by Isaac Asimov, the science fiction novel focuses on intelligent artificial life and whether sentient androids should possess the same rights as humans. The androids in Stardust's novel are created as hybrids, part machine, part human, further blurring the line between human and machine. Strata foresees a near future where humans will be forced to decide if intelligent machinery is indeed a life form. Possibly, in this near future, some humans will possess computer enhancements to overcome disabilities, becoming hybrids themselves. The line between biological life form and mechanical life form continues to be examined in 2010's Gods of the Machines. Nine Incarnate, along with its preceding Caitlin Diggs series and novels, Demon Inhibitions, Extreme Liquidation, and Bloodweb, are reminiscent of the X-Files television movie series. Contemporary authors Laurel K. Hamilton, Rachel Kane, Jim Butcher, and Kelly Armstrong also feel his aspiration to create paranormal suspense. Watch for Dig and Shea Book soon. Starter's crime novel, Murder by Association, blends mystery with forensic investigation. It is a departure from previous books because it contains no science fiction or paranormal elements. Additionally, Stardust sees the 2008 novel Elizabeth's Garden, a fantasy romance, as another out-of-the-box effort. Coalescence begins a trilogy, including forthcoming Time Wanderer, which you guys heard, and Obsolete Theme. If you like zombies, check out Dead Market as a vice cop battles the evil of Big Pharma. So I'd like to thank you, Gary, for sitting down with us tonight and yeah, doing the show with us. It was a really great yeah, conversation, and <laughs> of course, and we appreciate yeah, was, you uh, giving us the free codes and the the, the reading as well. Absolutely, thank you anytime, and uh, you know, say hi to Vaughn, and thank you so much uh, for you know filling in to keep the show going. Um, you know, keep it rolling uh, while she has to deal with the, the other situations. I'm very sorry to hear that. I hope she gets through it as best she can. Definitely, I'll let her know, and hopefully um, yeah. she'll listen to the show as well and hear your sentiments. So I know it's right nice. <laughs> hearing it than, uh, than me just telling her. <laughs> I, I definitely appreciate that on her behalf. So. Okay. 
as Yvonne ends every night's show, she always ends with a just a quick thought for guests. And as I end my second night as her fill-in host, I actually have a closing of my own. And the summary is you need to give someone else a chance to help because when you give someone else a chance to help, it helps two people. When Yvonne and I were talking, all I did was merely offer, do you want help? I will help you host a show and you can take time for you. And she allowed me to do that. And because she allowed me to do that, not only did it help her, but it helped me. It helped me become more confident, and it helped me see that there is a lot more that I can do and a lot more capacity that I can reach and a bigger audience as well. So when you're going through your life and somebody just gives you that simple sentence, how can I help? They're not only helping you, you're helping them. So just take a time to sit back and let them help. And for people who are control freaks like Yvonne and I, I know it's such a hard, hard thing to do to let somebody else grab the steering wheel and drive for a bit. But when you've been driving on the, on the same road for 10, 12 hours, sometimes it's good to take a nap and let somebody else take the wheel for a bit. So if anybody offers their help, see it as a helping opportunity for not only yourself, but them. So again, this has been Off the Chain with Gary Starda. Thank you again, Gary. We really Thank appreciate you. it. And for Off the Chain, this is a special guest host, Ian Bush, hosting for Yvonne Mason. And she will be on next week, and she has her shows up as well. So thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed the second host, and hopefully I'll be able to talk to you guys again soon. So have a good night.